those that are uh, performing or ministering, if you will, right before the the message. I don't often comment on the people that uh, play for our prelude and also for offertory, but I appreciate it all very much. And I thought that was so appropriate tonight as Olivia was playing, as I was thinking about those tremendous words, be still my soul. Certainly thought of the, the family and their grief. Appreciated Barry's prayer and obvious concern. May God grant mercy and grace to this family in time of need. Tonight I start a new series entitled Life After Death. Quite a number of years ago, I did a series, a rather extensive series on Life After Death. Some of you may remember that, but it was quite, quite a long time ago. Uh, it was a special series to me. It was also a time in which my father-in-law was dying, and I had the opportunity to take my handouts each Monday and visit him and go over uh, the things that we had learned about uh, death and dying. In that particular series, I emphasized in particular the inter- intermediate state, the time before the resurrection, the time in which we die and our bodies go to be in the grave and our spirit goes to be with God. And I focused on that in great length. So in this particular series, I'm going to focus more on the resurrection. I think many times that that is downplayed, when in actuality that is the focal point of the Scriptures. When we think about death after life, it is the resurrection. That is our ultimate hope, that is our ultimate confidence, and that is our final experience to be body and soul in the very presence of God in new heaven and new earth. And so I'm going to take a number of weeks to unpack those ideas for you and lead us through a rather extensive look at the scriptures in that particular regard. But tonight, as an introduction, I do want to make a bridge between the intermediate state and the resurrection. The first thing I would point out to you tonight is that death is an enemy. 1 Corinthians 15:26, referring to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says that last enemy that will be abolished is death. That is the ultimate conquering message of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the final hurrah when death is fully vanquished. That happens at the end of the millennial kingdom and the beginning of the new heaven and new earth. But death is an enemy. The humanistic view of death sees death as a friend. The humanistic view sees death as natural. Death is merely a part of life, a part of the life cycle. We live, we die. If you believe in reincarnation, you live, you die, and you live again. Many people see religions as being pretty interchangeable. They all believe pretty much the same thing. All you have to do is place your faith in a God, because basically we all believe the same thing. But if there is ever an area that distinguishes beliefs, it's in the area of life after death. 
those that believe that there is no life after death, that there is just a sensation of life, it's just a soul sleep, and there is no consciousness, there is no bodily resurrection. You have those that do believe in reincarnation, an endless cycle of coming back to this world and, and uh, experiencing a greater karma. You have the animistic beliefs of the African tribes, and they are trying to make amends with their ancestors and contacting them in their sacrifices. And they have a great ancestral tribal worship. Certainly the Buddhists and their understanding of what happens after a person dies is quite distinct from the Christian view. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the boys and girls are separated. It's on the teaching of what happens after we die. The third humanistic view is that death should mean little or nothing to us. And lastly, death will always be here. But you see, people such as Dr. Kevorkian, well, he was still alive, tried to usher people into a restful experience. He was known for his desire to have mercy killings because he viewed enemy as a friend. The Christian view of death is that, first of all, <clears throat> death is unnatural. Unnatural in that it was not a part of the original plan. It was not a, the ultimate goal, if you will, of God. But mankind sinned. And as a result of sin, death entered the world. And as such, it is unnatural. Death is a time of sorrow. We know, of course, that great passage in Thessalonians that says we should not sorrow as those who have no hope. But there is still sorrow. There's anguish. There's that sense of being left behind. There is that tearful separation. Certainly, as the Bumgardner family heard this news tonight, we all know that their hearts are filled with sorrow and anguish and grief. Death is a time of sorrow. And finally, death will be done away when Jesus returns. Jesus conquers sin and death. Revelation 21.4 Again, at the end of the millennial kingdom, it says, And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. This is a verse that is often used at funeral services, but actually incorrectly. Because death has not yet been totally done away with. This is a passage talking about the new heaven and new earth in which death is finally, once and all, abolished. And I will unpack that at rather great length. In the weeks that lie ahead. So we begin by asking the question, what is death? We need to define it. What are we talking about? The first thing I would note is that death is not a state of non-existence. But rather, death refers to a specific kind of existence. Death in the scripture always refers to separation. Separation. 
Please keep that in mind. Mark that somehow. Memorize it. Death in the Word of God always. And there are very few times when you can say always, but here's one of them. Death in the Scripture always refers to separation. And there are two kinds of death that are referred to in the Scriptures. There is the physical death, which is the separation of body and spirit, and I put in parentheses soul. A couple weeks ago, I talked about man is a spirit, and I said at that point I was not going to make a distinction between spirit and soul, nor am I in this uh, intervening period. I'm using them kind of interchangeably, although there are nuances of difference. But physical death is a separation of body and soul. There is spiritual death, which is the separation of the human spirit from God. Death came about as a result of Adam's sin. Therefore, just as though through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Adam experienced death as a result of sin. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. You shall surely die. At the very moment Adam ate of the fruit, Adam died spiritually, that is, he was separated from God. Notice the text, Genesis two sixteen and 17. But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in that day, you will surely die. In that moment, in that time of eating the fruit, Adam, you are going to die. And he did die at that moment. He did not die a physical death. He did not fall over. He did not have a heart attack. But he did die spiritually. He was separated from God. No longer having the same relationship with God prior to the fall. Now he found himself hiding from God, as you recall. And God having to search him out. And all that took place in that regard. Next, at a subsequent time, Adam died physically. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Jesus experienced death on the cross. Jesus died spiritually on the cross. That is, he was separated from God. Matthew 17, 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is the cry of a spiritually dead individual. Jesus bore the consequences of our sin. He bore our sin. He bore our death. Oftentimes we focus on that physical death that he experienced on the cross. That's valid. That's real. That's important. 
But I say to you tonight, not only did he die physically, but he died spiritually in our place. He was separated from God the Father for the first time in his existence. He was forsaken by God, separated from God. And then B, Jesus died physically on the cross. That is, his spirit was separated from his body. His body, of course, was placed in a tomb. Matthew twenty-seven fifty-eight and following. This man went to Pilate, that's Joseph, and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate offered it to be given over to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own noon tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. So Jesus died physically. His body, dead body, is placed in a tomb in the grave of that day. However, Jesus' spirit went to be with God. Luke twenty-three forty-six. Again, Jesus cried out, saying with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And there is a very significant statement there when it said he breathed his last. Those of you who were with us a couple weeks ago, it was Victory Valley night, and so the tendencies were a little lower, and so you may not have been here that night. But I emphasize that the word breath in the scriptures is the same word as the word spirit. And so he breathes his last. His spirit was given up. His spirit at that moment went to be with God the Father as his limp body hung upon that tree. You will remember. That as Jesus was dying upon the cross, there were two thieves. One, both began to mock. One repented of the mocking, rebuked the other thief, and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he that is Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in the presence of God. So, Jesus' body, dead, buried, placed in a tomb, his spirit continuing on and being in the presence of, the, of, of, of God. Jesus became physically alive after his death. That is, there was a reuniting of his body and spirit. He rose from the dead or was resurrected. When we think of the resurrection or we think of rising from the dead, it's important that we understand that that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about that time in which our bodies and our spirit or soul are reunited. So that we have a life that is very similar to the life that we enjoy today and Again, give me weeks and we will unpack that pretty thoroughly. But tonight the emphasis is that we are longing for and looking for that day in which these bodies that are placed in a grave are going to come forth and be reunited 
with our spirits and we will be spiritually and physically alive, reunited in our relationship with God, reunited body and soul and ever with the Lord. Um, I'll read Luke 24. You're very familiar with it. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Why are you looking for the one who is alive among these lifeless, dead bodies? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Though immediately after death, we are in a disembodied state, our spirits continue to exist. So when we're talking about death, we're not talking about a cessation of our spirit. Now, just a quick review from a couple of weeks ago when I said that we are spirit. I said that that is who we are in our very essence. That is our cognizant ability. That is our reasoning process. That is our communicative process. Our spirit, if you will, is the very essence of our life. You see, when you see that lifeless corpse, it can't see, it can't hear, it can't speak. You can't relate to it. The essence of life has departed from that corpse. But that spirit continues on. When we die, our spirit is separated from our body. 2 Corinthians 5.8 We are of good courage, I say, and rather to be absent from the body, but to be home with the Lord. Our bodies return to the dust. Genesis 3.19 By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That speaks about the decay that is going to take place. Our bodies are going to be ultimately destroyed. Uh, they are going to sometimes be cremated. Sometimes they're going to rot. Uh, I hate to say it, but we, as uh, you know, are in a state really of, of a slow death uh, because of, of the fall. Uh, that's why we lose our hair. That's why some of it turns gray. That's why we develop aches and pains. We are slowly, slowly die. It's rather a morbid thought, but it is true. We are marching forward to death. Our bodies go to the dust, but our spirits go to be with the Lord. We have good courage, I say, and rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Although we will temporarily be in a disembodied state, 
we can still see, hear, and speak. Now, I'm not going to go into this in great detail. I did mention a couple weeks ago that God is a spirit, that he does not have a body, he does not have hands, does not have feet, he does not have a head, does not, not, uh, does not have eyes, does not have ears, but yet God knows, God understands, God hears, if you will, God is able to communicate with us, God is able to understand, and all of that is true of us as spirits. So in our disembodied state, we still know what's going on, we still are cognizant, we still are aware, we can still function in that sense. The non-believer, when he dies, is spiritually dead. That does not mean that the spirit of a non-believer no longer exists after he or she dies. Again, death does not mean non-existence. It means separation. It does mean that when a non-believer dies, he or she is separated from God. So when we die as believers, we can say with great confidence and boldness and encouragement and comfort to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That cannot be said of a non-believer. A non-believer, when they die, are not present with the Lord. That thief that was on the cross, that was unrepentant, Jesus did not and could not say to him, Today you shall be with me in paradise. That was reserved for the repentant thief. So, what happens to a person who is not a believer? What happens to their spirit after they die? 2 Peter 2.9 The non-believer is imprisoned until the day of judgment. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. That word to hold really means to incarcerate. They are in bondage. They are in a state in which they are waiting for the coming and final judgment. But in that period of time, while they are waiting for that ultimate and final judgment, they are already experiencing punishment. So, D, the non-believer is being punished while he or she waits judgment. 2 Peter 2.9 If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. Now, key phrase, while continuing their punishment. While continuing their punishment. While they are imprisoned, they are experiencing God's wrath, God's disfavor. They are not merely asleep. They are conscious. They are aware. But they are in a miserable, miserable state. One question I heard indirectly, it wasn't said to me by the person, but someone came to me and 
and uh, asked that question as a result of another person talking to them. And that was, how can a disembodied spirit know pain? How can a disembodied spirit know that kind of grief? Well, if we understand how a person can experience joy and peace, we can understand how they can experience pain. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been pained by something that wasn't physical in nature? Have you ever known anguish? Have you ever known grief? Have you ever known sorrow that was a result of our sin, of our sense of guilt? Have you ever laid awake at night, terrified, that has nothing to do with your physical condition, but it's just your spirit and awareness that God is displeased or a fear of the future or whatever the case may be. You see, a disembodied spirit can suffer greatly. And they do. And a disembodied spirit can be comforted wonderfully. And we will. Number seven. The resurrection is the reuniting of body and spirit. Both believer and non-believer will be resurrected. I can't emphasize that enough. I many times hear people talk in such a way that, that I'm afraid that they think that the resurrection is reserved for the people of God. It is not. Every human being that has ever existed is going to be physically raised from the dead. There is going to be a reuniting of body and spirit of every human being. So both believer and non-believer will be resurrected. John 5.28 Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear His voice. The believer is resurrected to be with God. And shall come forth those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life. And then the unbeliever to be separated from God. Those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. You see, that final judgment that's going to take place of the non-believer is that individual standing. Body and soul physically in the presence of God. They are raised from the dead for that judgment. In the meaning, intervening period, while their body is in the grave, their spirit is being held captive, imprisoned, and punished until that final day of resurrection in which they now come forth from the grave body and soul, and stand before God. The time of the resurrection. When Jesus returns, the believer's spirits were united with their bodies. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not precede them who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
This dead in Christ, you see, is referring to their bodies. Notice in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 14, God is bringing, Jesus is bringing them with him. How can you have the both? Well, the answer is he's bringing their spirits with him. And then their bodies are going to be raised from the dead and be reunited. Be reunited. The believer is reunited body and spirit prior to the millennial reign of Christ. I am not going to take the time to get into mid-tribulation, pre-tribulation, post-tribulational views and all of that about various aspects of the resurrection. I don't think it's particularly helpful and for me to do it thoroughly in my estimation, it would take a couple months and I don't view it to be all that profitable or valuable. Because the bottom line, no matter what view, is you end up with this. And that is that there is a resurrection of the believer just prior to the millennium. Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark upon their forehead and upon their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That coming to life, again, is a reuniting of body and soul. They are physically resurrected to participate in a physical body, bodily way in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. We are going to be alive physically, reigning on this earth. The resurrected believer will always be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. That's the great truth. We will always be with Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, we go. When Jesus is in heaven, at the right hand of the Father, we are in heaven at the right hand of the Father. When Jesus returns to this earth, we return to this earth. And as Jesus returns to this earth in a bodily form, we are going to be resurrected. And we will be on this earth in a bodily form. First, the resurrected believer is with the Lord in the millennial kingdom. Then, the resurrected believer is with the Lord in the new heaven and new earth. Revelation 21, 1 and following. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven out of, God, uh, down, uh, out of heaven from God and made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them. And they shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. Notice the context here of Revelation 21, 4, that verse we always use. It's when this new heaven, this new earth begins, when this heavenly Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. 
He shall wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Save the next verse for the next section. The non-believer will be reunited body and spirit at the judgment, and then cast bodily into the, to the lake of fire away from God. The non-believer is not resurrected, a reuniting of body and soul, until the end of of the millennial reign of Christ. Revelation 20, verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So the Bible talks about two resurrections. The first resurrection is the resurrection of believers. That takes place at the beginning of the millennium. The resurrection of the non-believers takes place at the end of the millennium. The Believers are resurrected in order to participate in and be a part of that millennial reign. The non-believers don't participate. The non-believers who are dead do not participate in that millennial kingdom. And so they continue in their state of being imprisoned and punished until the end of the millennium. Then comes the final judgment. In which they are resurrected. Number two. The non-believer will be resurrected, judged, and cast bodily into the lake of fire at the close of the millennial reign of Christ. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. The word for this death here is those who are spiritually dead, the non-believers. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. Now we're talking about their physical bodies. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the time that there is no more death. You see, it is cast away. It is in the lake of fire. It is the final triumph of Jesus. It brings this full circle in which we said the last enemy which is destroyed is death. And here is death's destruction. Not that these Individuals no longer exist, but in a finality are separated from God forever. Their last encounter with God is the resurrection. It is the judgment. And then they are cast body, and soul into the lake of fire to experience punishment, damnation, judgment forever and ever. 
Whereas we experience a new heaven and a new earth. That, unfortunately, in our day and age, is trumped by people wanting to focus on the disembodied state. That is just temporary. That's the final destiny. That's the great hope. That's what we are looking forward to. The new heaven and the new earth in bodily form, living a true existence before God in fellowship with Him and our brothers and sisters in the Lord forever and ever. It is not this disembodied state of people floating around and worshiping forever and ever and the kinds of things that we, we hear about. That's not it. And so that's why I really, really want to focus our attention on what the Scriptures have to say about the resurrection and about the new heaven and about the new earth. Because it is a wonderful truth. It's also a dreadful truth. Because every human being is going to be resurrected. Every human being is going to be reunited, body and soul. And that final experience of body and soul is either one of great anguish and separation from God or great joy and bliss and in His presence forever and ever. So you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you do, the moment you die, your spirit goes to be with Him. Your body's placed in a tomb. One day, when He returns, your body and soul will be reunited. You will be resurrected. And you will be a part of a new heaven and a new earth forever and ever. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Help us to understand it. I pray that we would derive great comfort from it and that we might give you the glory and the joy and the praise that you are so richly deserving of. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.